on the line with us right now is economist Robin Hennell. Uh Good mo- good morning in uh, Portland, Robin. Good morning. Yes, we're having a, a wonderful morning here in Portland. Uh, we're, we're rooting spring in on we're rooting spring in with some bright sunshine and wonderful weather. You know, uh, you know this magazine that they have like in London and New York. This magazine, Time Out. I am not very familiar with it. No, I'm not. <laughs> okay, well then this won't be in any way a compliment to you. I apologize. The last time we had you on the show back in 2005, uh, it was the only time that we were mentioned in this. Uh, it's kind of like an entertainment magazine, Time Out. Uh, they actually had an announcement about this show, and they're the only time we've been in there. And they were all excited about the fact that Robin Hanel was going to be on the show. Who <laughs> knew that radical well, economists were so popular in entertainment magazines? Well, I... To tell you the truth, I am not somebody who is media savvy, and that includes left media as well. So I'm not surprised that I don't know about them, but I'm glad they appreciate your show. <laughs> you know what, though? Uh, the fact that you're not media savvy, that makes you perfect for this show, because I'm still not making a goddamn dime off this. So I think we're in the same boat. Well, when it comes down to not making money, yes, uh, I'm good at that also. <laughs> Excellent. You know, uh, earlier we were talking uh, with uh, the unembedded uh, uh, journalist who covered, unembedded reporter in the Iraq War, who is an independent journalist, author. We just got off the phone with him, uh, Dar Jamal. And we were talking about how there's, uh, you know, uh, never any money for infrastructure. There's never any money for jobs. Uh, we're always, when you, uh, when the uh, Congress, when the uh, Senate, when the president um, asks for money, uh, when when they're asking for money on certain projects, they always get less than they asked for. But when it comes to the military, they always get more than they asked for. And this isn't just something that's happening under the Obama administration, under the Bush administration. But during the Clinton administration, there was a Pentagon budget where the uh, Clinton administration, um, where the Pentagon asked for so much money, and then the Clinton administration actually gave them far more than they even wanted. And it's surprising the people, the uh, Pentagon at that time. And so this leads me to the question that you you were uh, right about every, in your one of your pieces here. Or actually, this is from your, um, let me get this exactly right. I want to get the URL right. Uh, from the New Left Project, newleftproject.org. Uh, this is from an interview that you did that's been cut up into three parts at Z Magazine's website, ZNet. And you talk about the impact of uh, military spending as opposed to um, as opposed to infrastructure spending, you cite a study for the uh, po- political economy research institute at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, published back in 2008. Uh, co-director Bob Poland, who's been on our show in the past, in past, testified before the House Committee on Education and Labor about the findings on October 24, 2008. As you point out, quote, the study revealed that $150 billion stimulus comprised of spending increases on educational and health services, public infrastructure, and green investments would create 2.9 million new jobs, while $150 billion stimulus composed of tax cuts for household consumption, military spending, and spending on the oil and gas industry would only create 1.5 million new jobs. So twice as many jobs if the money is spent on education, health care, infrastructure, and green investments than if it's spent on tax cuts, the military, and the gas and oil industry. But the way that the right frames this is we either support the troops and oppose taxes or we throw money at welfare. Can that framing be undone now that it has been uh, repeated so many times and gone unchallenged for 30 years? Or are we stuck with this logic ad infinitum? 
Well, I mean, we're stuck with it until, you know, until we come to our senses. Um, look, the truth is that the, the, big, the big elephant that's in the room that nobody ever wants to look at is the Cold War is over. <laughs> um, if there was ever an excuse to have a massive U.S. military budget for defensive, you know, for defensive reasons, then perhaps when there was an actual large, armed, credible enemy out there, um, you could justify that. Um, but ever since the Cold War is over, the big news that never happened is there was never any peace dividend. Um, and that totally warps spending priorities here in the United States. That is the number one reason there's never money for the things we need that actually help people here in the United States, because we are continuing to spend so much money on the military budget. Um, that's, that's the elephant in the room nobody really wants to talk about. That's the military-industrial complex that a Republican president and, you know, the head of the military in World War II warned against back in the 50s, Dwight Eisenhower. That's the military-industrial complex. And it basically has us all by the, by the short hairs. Um, and it has for, you know, 40, 50 years now. Um, and that has continued to be the case under Clinton administration, Democratic administration, the Obama administration, etc. Now, what that report from Perry points out is that in a situation where we desperately need jobs, and when you want to get the most jobs you can for your federal deficit dollar is what it comes down to, it turns out that if you look and see where you could get your most jobs, it does not come from increased spending on the military. It comes from spending on exactly those priorities that we progressives have been saying are getting underspent on and are in great need all along. Um, health, education, and greening the economy, basically getting our economy ready you know, for you know, for the new energy-efficient era that we're going to have to move into if we're going to avoid catastrophic climate change by the middle of the century. Um, but that's happening. Um, the, uh, right now, there are 15 million Americans who are out looking for work. And when you look at job programs that, um, the job programs that are being, that, that, are, that are in the works from the administration and Congress, they are going to do absolutely nothing to solve that problem. And this is what really bugs me about this. Okay, so military spending is not the way to go if you want to create jobs. Military spending is not the way that you want to go if you, therefore, want to help out the economy. The thing that everybody is saying across the board, Democrats and Republicans are saying right now, is what is hurting the Obama administration is jobs, jobs, jobs. Jobs is it. If you can get more people to have jobs, then things will get better. It'll help out the economy. It'll help out the politics of the Obama administration. It'll help out... the uh, incumbents in Congress and in Senate. Uh, and it, it, so that's that's one aspect of the stupidity of putting money within uh, military spending rather than uh, health care and the like, infrastructure and the things that you pointed out. But on top of that, not only is... The one, and, and the other thing that's happening is that we're, we're, now, we're now getting scared out of doing what is desperately necessary by what I would call the sort of deficit boogeyman. The Republicans are the Republicans' behavior is understandable and predictable. 
They didn't care about deficits when they wanted their tax cuts for the wealthy. They didn't care about deficits when they wanted to spend more on the military. Now, they don't want the Obama administration um, to... They want the Obama administration to fail. They want it to fail for narrow political opportunistic reasons on their part. They could care less whether or not the American economy continues to suffer and the person in Main Street does. They now know that the incumbent will be blamed by the failure to solve the we-need-jobs problem in this country. And they're doing absolutely everything they can to make sure that Obama cannot, and the Democratic Congress cannot, pass a jobs bill that's sufficient. What's sad is to watch the Obama administration basically, you know, play into that. Instead of pointing out that these people are hypocrites and unpatriotic, to validate the idea that we have to concern ourselves with deficits right now, is absolutely mind-bogglingly insane, and it's very counterproductive, and if anything, it will be what it is that loses the Democrats the majority in Congress and loses Obama re-election in 2012. Here is the simple message. Economists, good economists, have known this since the time of Keynes. When you're in the middle of the worst recession-slash-depression that we have had in 80 years, The government has to spend more than it's collecting in taxes, and it has to do it big time. And here's the sad truth. The bigger the deficit we run right now, the smaller the national debt will be five years from now. Because the way the national debt increases most dramatically is when you don't stem the recessionary slide. Until production picks up and people have income again, taxes will continue to go down. They'll collect less and less taxes because people aren't paying taxes when they haven't got jobs and income. The only way you're going to get people back to work is running a deficit in the short run. We need a bigger deficit now. We need a much bigger stimulus bill that takes the form of a big deficit. And what the Republicans have managed to tap into is popular fear of deficit spending, confusing the bailout of the banks, which was a tremendous amount of sort of mortgaging the future, but it in no way created any new jobs. And, and, you know, I was going to say earlier, too, that uh, not only do we uh, uh, spend money on the military and we don't create as many jobs as if we created infrastructure, we also spend money on the, according to a new study, uh, we spend money on our military the least efficiently of all the countries that do spend money on their military. The United States scored last in a new study that examined how 33 major militaries spend funds on weapon systems, uh, while potential U.S. rival uh, Russia ranked third out of 33. So it not only are we putting money in the wrong area, Area, but we're not even helping out the people who are on the ground that are the, the troops that we are supporting. But you, you mentioned this part about uh, where you write, or where you've said that uh, centrist Democrats, which describes President Obama and his economic policy team perfectly, are currently responsible for failure to provide a sufficient uh, fiscal stimulus by pandering to what they le- uh, legitimate as popular concern over deficits, rather than explain why fighting to reduce deficits now is counterproductive in denouncing those who fan the flames of popular concern over deficits for the unpatriotic political opportunists that they are. Now, do you think that the... So the Republicans are doing this. The Republicans are trying to undermine the uh, Obama administration. They're trying to undermine the amount of resources he can have to create a jobs program, uh, because this is what the, op- the you know, politically opportunistic, sure, but this is what the opposition uh, party does. They try to take power. Their number one goal isn't what, if for both parties, isn't what's best for the United States. 
but it is what's best for their ability to get into power or have more power if they are in power. Do you think the same then goes for the Democrats, that when the Democrats are not in power, that they also uh, fight against the Republicans for not for the concern of what's best for America, but what they can do to get back into power? Uh, much less effectively than the Republicans do. And the concern now is the Democrats are in power, and they're basically playing into the Republicans' hands. They're essentially, by buying into this sort of fear of deficit, we cannot spend enough to reverse the, the, the slide and start getting people back to work. By buying into that and not taking that on and using their majorities in Congress and the fact that they actually do supposedly rule in the White House, they are allowing the Republicans to create a situation where we are not going to have a recovery when the when people go to the polls in November of ten thousand in, in November of this year, we're going to have the same unemployment rate that we have now. And if things continue this way in two thousand and twelve, we will still be in you know, we'll either still be in a deep recession, depression, or we'll be in a jobless recovery where the ordinary person you know still hasn't got a job. Um, that that's the the infuriating thing is that the Democrats are essentially failing to even serve their own narrow political interest of staying in power by being so foolish um, at not doing what's necessary to go out and get jobs. Yeah, that's that's the amazing part to me. And you know what really it's gets because of his advisors. I mean, it, it, I'll tell you what it comes down to. Look, ruling elites throughout the world created this problem. They are doing nothing effective to actually combat it and pull the world out of this recession. Some are doing better, some are doing worse. But that's generally true for sort of the ruling elites and governments worldwide. Governments are going to topple. They're not solving this problem, and governments are going to topple. And the question is going to come down to us, when they topple, are they going to topple to the right or the left? Because people are going to get increasingly angry. The people in Greece are just the beginning of the popular outrage on people's part saying, I didn't benefit from this bubble. I didn't create this problem. I'm not responsible for creating this mess. And now you're asking me to pay the price of fixing it. Um, I think not. We're going to get more and more of that. And the more of that we get in the United States, the better off we'll be and the faster we'll be better off. But the question is going to come whether or not that's going to topple government and essentially allow right-wing governments to come back to power or whether it's going to move things to the left. In the United States, the real question is this. Is Obama going to fire Larry Summers and Timothy Geithner? Until he does, his economic policies are not going to change and they are not going to be solving problems. If he wakes up quickly and gets rid of them and hire some economic advisors. There are plenty of people out there that are telling him what he needs to do. There are Nobel Prize-winning economists like Paul Krugman and Joe Stiglitz. Larry Summers never won a Nobel Prize. There are economists to the left of them who have even better ideas, like Dean Baker and Jane DeRista and Bob Poland. They know how to get the jobs going. They know how to fix the economy. Um, the only advisor he fired was Van Jones, who was the only one who was telling him the right <laughs> things to do, which is massive stimulus spending green. You can have your cake and eat it, too. You can begin the process of greening the economy and put people back to work at the same time.
same time. Who's the only advisor that he has unceremoniously dismissed? That's the advisor he's let go. Yeah. You know, let me ask you just something real quick before I, I want to talk about uh, some of your uh, now. Uh, I want to go through this economic crisis a little bit more with you, but before I do, um, I, I obviously from reading your writing, you believe in deficit spending. You believe that this is the way to go. That fis- uh, fiscal stimulus At package. This time, it's a question right. of time. Right, but people get confused on this issue. There are times when you need to engage in deficit spending. There are times when you don't. This is one of those times when you do, and people have got to stand up and say that. Okay, so let's say, and just just so we know what the opposite thing is, without discussing deficit spending, what if the Obama, and I know that this is a ridiculous uh, hypothetical, but what would be, detri- how detrimental would it be, in your opinion, to our economy if the Obama administration did all of the slashing and cutting and everything that they needed to do to balance the budget between now and, let's say, he stays in power up until 2016? How detrimental would that be to the American economy as we know it on Main Street, not as it's known on Wall Street? Oh, if they do that, we will be permanently mired in the recession, which will simply get worse and worse. Look, what is going to pull us out of this recession? Um, consumer spending is not because people have lost jobs, because people have no equity in their houses anymore, because people's credit cards are maxed out. So we're not going to have a massive increase in consumer spending that provides the demand to get the country working again. As long as business conditions are as bad as they are, there's not going to be a massive increase in investment spending on the part of the, of the business community. Well, that only leaves one place left. In the short run, in the here and now, the government has to step into that gap. This was the lesson Keynes taught the world back during the Great Depression of the past. We, we learned this, and we have studiously managed to unlearn it. Now, there's a lot of people who have the, you know, bear the blame for unlearning this simple lesson from the last Great Depression. One is the economics profession that has literally taken Keynes out of the graduate curriculums in economics and Ph.D. programs in this country. I'm fully aware of that. I'm a part, I lived through that process for 30 years as a professional academic economist, and I watched good, sound macroeconomic policy being taken out of the curriculum. But it's not just the economists. Politicians have unlearned this lesson, and essentially a right-wing media um, that is really a right-wing controlled media for the most part in the use of the United States has hammered away on this issue about deficits, deficits, and has and essentially we are all being played for fools on this subject. So let's so worst, say- if if Obama concentrates on reducing deficits during this year and next year and the next year he will simply turn this recession into an even worse recession than we already have because we have got to increase demand for goods and services or we're not going to put those 15 million Americans looking for work back to work. You call it an essentially right-wing media. Everybody talks about what a great speaker President Obama is. Uh, Even if he did come out and explain to everybody why deficit spending is so important and how we can get out of this uh, economic crisis with deficit spending, uh, being that, in your opinion, that the uh, media is essentially right-wing, I mean, that's 20 minutes or 40 minutes on the air, at the most, maybe 60 minutes of President Obama, no matter how good a speaker he is, trying to convince the American 
American public, is it uh, is it really impossible because you have a 24-hour news cycle with a right-wing media constantly telling you that the de- that deficit spending is the wrong thing to do? Can't, isn't the right-wing media, isn't aren't folks like it, uh, and even the way that uh, relatively left-wing media, uh, relatively, I should say, uh, uh, relatively left-wing media, the way in which they react to Fox News, do, it doesn't Fox News and uh, other right-wing media, doesn't it have more power than the bully pulpit that the president has right now? Look, it's, it's definitely a disadvantage to have the major media and the media that a good chunk of the American populace listen to be solidly right-wing. And there's, there's only so much the bully pulpit can do, the president can do from the bully pulpit. But here, think about it right now. The Democrats in Congress, in the House of Representatives, there actually was a lot of desire on the part of those Democrats in the House of Representatives to get a much more effective response to creating jobs. They wanted a second stimulus bill. And it was Obama's White House when he took the advice of Larry Summers, his chief economic advisors, that's who nixed it. A lot of Democrats in the House of Representatives were very unhappy that we did not have a huge new second stimulus. They knew they were likely to lose. In the end, what the American people are going to vote for right now are results. They'll listen to whatever they listen to. If somebody puts them back to work, they are going to, they are going to reward that person you know, with their voting loyalty. And if the people in power, and, that's, and they look to see who's in the White House, and they, look to see, they know who controls both houses of Congress. They know who's sitting in the White House. And if they're not put back to work, they are not going to vote for those people. Um, so this was not just a case that Obama needed to come out and sort of lead the charge. His own party in the House of Representatives, in the, in the House of Representatives wanted a much bigger stimulus package because they had the good sense to know they were going to get voted out of office in 2010 without it. The real question is, why did Obama listen to Larry Summers and say, no, no, we can't afford it, no, no, the deficit is too big? Now, the reason the deficit is too big, by the way, is because they threw all that useless money at the banking bailout, which did not create jobs. So the real issue is, I mean, the real, the real shame is that the big, we did a massive big spending. We mortgaged the future. We did it to bail out the private banking sector, and the private banking sector's reward for that is they still don't provide credit to small businesses and ordinary people in a timely way, and they're simply rewarding their CEOs with massive bonuses again. That's where the spending went. That didn't create jobs. And now that's part of the problem about why we can't spend where we need to on greening the economy, education, health, et cetera. Here's one other thing that people really need to know. The stimulus that we had was half the size that it needed to be in the wrong composition. In this country, there's 50 states. The state governments have been cutting their spending because of their tax receipts going down. If you look at the spending cuts of the state governments, they pretty much cancel out the spending increase in the deficit spending that the federal government has engaged in. The truth of the matter is, when you add all of the state governments and the federal government together, we have had sort of pretty much no stimulus coming from the government sector. That is insane when you are in the middle of the worst depression or recession in 80 years.
That's just absolutely insane, and yet that's what's been going on. And the Obama administration is going to get held, is going to get held responsible for this, you know, by the voting public in 2010 and 2012 if they don't wake up. You do not believe that the kind of economic crises we've faced are inherent to capitalist economies. You've said, I think this is an issue where the left needs a slap in the face. Collectively, the left likes to see itself as teaching great wisdom on this subject. In truth, the left has often spewed a great deal of nonsense about capitalist crises that undermines our credibility with people who actually know something about the subject. The idea that capitalism contains internal contradictions which act as seeds for its own destruction is simply wrong and needs to be discarded once and for all. Many 20th century progressives sustained themselves emotionally with false beliefs that capitalism's dynamism and technological creativity would prove to be its undoing as well as its strength. So it's wrong then to say that capitalism is the problem. And so can the current economic crisis be fixed through capitalism? Um, let me let me distinguish between two things. First of all, Chuck, I I can't tell you how much trouble you know that quote has gotten me in with with you know many 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 of my colleagues and friends you know progressives and left friends throughout the you know for 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 decades. And that's why um, that's why I brought it up on the air because I like to get you in trouble, Robin. Well, that's just fine. I I got myself in trouble. <laughs> it happened. Here's what what I what I was saying there is that. I think the left needs to... Uh, I don't blame. Uh, I spend most of my time these days trying to convince my fellow leftists and progressives that we need to look inside ourselves to see what we've been doing wrong. The reason we aren't doing better and the reason the world is suffering as a result is, I believe, increasingly... I think it's increasingly obvious that it's mistakes that we've made and that we have not really owned up to. And this is simply one of them. The left has had a long history of preaching that capitalism, you know, has these internal contradictions, et cetera, et cetera. Most of that, I think, simply is wrong, um, and we need to own up to that. Now, that's not the same as saying that capitalism isn't the problem. It's just saying it's not going to self-destruct on its own. Um, I am a socialist. I believe that in the end, a hundred years from now, hopefully people will have woken up to the fact that organizing our economic activities in a system of competition and greed is just not the best we can do. That, first of all, these crises are always possible. There's a question, the difference here is possible versus inevitable. And sort of, can you do things to fix it, and should you try? Um, My position is, these crises will happen. They are not inevitable. Um, capitalism is not prone to self-destruct. Um, when these things happen, you have to do everything you can, you know, to protect ordinary people and the environment, you know, in the best possible ways. For instance, certainly in terms of finance, you need competent regulation of finance if you're going to have a capitalist financial industry. Um, because otherwise people suffer in ways that is needless and unnecessary. In the end, I want to replace this whole system with one that is not prone to these kinds of problems, and is a much more sensible way to go about organizing our economic activities. Um, But in the short run, in the short run, there are ways to fix problems that we are suffering from that, unfortunately, our own government is not availing itself of. 
and people are going to suffer. People are going to continue to suffer and suffer even more, and they're going to continue and they will get angrier and angrier. The question becomes: What direction do they turn in when they get angrier and angrier, and what kinds of things do they demand? You know that their new elected representatives actually do. The problem is that, Robin, and you know this, uh, when you say that you are a socialist, uh, people who watch Fox News believe that that means you're, they use all these terms interchangeably and they don't even know that they have different meanings. They use terms like uh, Stalinist and Marxist and fascist and uh, Hitler and Nazi. They use them all interchangeably as if they mean the same thing. So when you say that you are a socialist, does that mean that you're a Soviet communist? Of course not, and I never have been. I have been, I, for 35 years as a professional economist and a left and a le- and somebody who's on the left in the political spectrum. I wrote a tremendous amount and published about all the things that were wrong with the Soviet economic and political system. I have never been a supporter of that kind of socialism or of communism, but those are not the only kinds of socialists that have ever been. I mean, the the socialist tradition is a long tradition that's over 200 years old. There are democratic socialists. There are social democrats. I call myself a libertarian socialist, somebody who believes in a very democratic and participatory kind of socialism, both political participation and popular participation in economic decision-making. I'm for workers' own cooperatives. I'm for, you know citizens' budgets and, you know, that kind of socialism. Um, And it bears little, if any, resemblance to the sort of old Soviet-style socialism. Of course, the right wing wants to paint everybody as a commie, um, wants to paint everybody who is critical of capitalism as, you know, somebody who wants to go back to the old Soviet ways. Well, there are practically none of us out there who call ourselves socialists in any kind of way. That are saying that that's what we're that's that that's what we're in favor of. That's just uh, that's their soundbite. That's yeah. all it is. And the reason that it resonates is because they have a very big microphone. Yeah, and you know what? I just want to point out to our audience, uh, when you were last on our show back in 2005, uh, we were talking with you about your book, Economics, Justice, and Democracy. And that book is a great reference book for understanding, explaining, and for for people like me to uh, comprehend the different forms of capitalism that there are, including within it, as you were saying, libertarian socialism, social democracy, all these different forms of economic systems that we can look at. And it's a great reference for that, and you were kind enough to get your publisher to donate some of those, uh, some copies of that book to uh, give to people who donated to WNUR during our Phonathon fundraiser back in 2006, and I really appreciate it, but it's just a great reference book that people should read so they can understand exactly what these terms really mean and not just what Fox News is telling us that they mean. One last question for you, Robin. We've been speaking with economist Robin Hanel. He is Professor Emeritus at American University in Washington, D.C. You can find his work uh, not only at the New Left Project, but you can find his articles that he's written recently on climate change as well at uh, Znet, Z Magazine's website. All you have to do is go to Z 
zmag.org and then go within the ZNet section of that. We have direct links to uh, his uh, art- his interview that he did uh, for the New Left Project that's been broken up into three different articles at ZNet. Uh, you can click on any one of those articles, then you can see his whole archive of articles that he's had posted at Z Magazine's website. One last question for you, Robin, and it's our question from hell, the question you might hate to ask, uh, or we might hate to ask, you might hate to answer, or our audience might hate to hear the response. And, you know, today we were talking about the inefficiency of American military spending as far as getting to the troops, as far as that money getting down to the troops rather than paying for all sorts of procurement and other sidetracks and distractions of uh, the military spending. We've been talking about how military spending is not a way uh, in which to grow jobs within an economy, that you can grow twice as many jobs by putting money within infrastructure, within green uh, investment, within uh, all sorts of social spending like health Healthcare. Uh, we've been talking about how uh, this idea that we are that we must always fight against the deficit is something that you don't have to do, especially in a uh, point in time when we are in an economic crisis like we are today. And uh, you know, we didn't touch on this very much, but it also leads to this uh, kind of anti-tax thinking that we've had here in the United States. Now, what we're seeing is Kansas City, um, uh, Missouri, has slashed their schools in half here, closer to home in Chicago. Uh, in the suburb of Elgin, they're now going to be cutting all sorts of programs and all sorts of teachers, and there's going to be uh, more and more students per teacher. And as uh, the uh, writer Henry Giraud has uh, told us on our show, the only real cure to make sure that we can reform an education system is have less students per teacher so people can get a better education. What do you think it will take for people to realize, finally, that being uh, somebody who is a knee-jerk in opposition to taxes, somebody who is knee-jerk in opposition to deficit spending, and somebody who is knee-jerk in constant approval of the growing defense spending in the United States, what will it take for that uh, epiphany to finally happen? Look, that's 30% of the American public is, you know, firmly entrenched in the Fox World News. Um, We're not going to change their mind in the short run. And we should stop worrying about trying to change their mind in the short run. Right now, you know, we had a a massive, we've had two massive electoral victories. One in 2006, that threw the Republicans out of the House of Control of the House of Representatives, and and the Senate, and then one again in 2008, where we elected a president with a much greater majority than we've elected a president in a good long time. And that vote was a vote for change. That vote was a vote against the kinds of policy, the policy ill ill wisdom, I will call it, that is preached constantly on Fox News and, and in the right-wing media. We simply have to get the, the, we have to get our politicians to act upon what a majority of the electorate has already clearly signaled they would like to see done. And the major obstacle right that right now to that are the advisors that President Obama has very unwisely chosen for himself on foreign policy, military policy, um, health care policy, economic policy. He has essentially chosen a set of advisors that are part of the... These are people who are responsible for having created the problems in the first place. These are not the people who have any idea what kinds of new policies we need to solve them. We need to, we need to build massive protest movements that 
basically in the short run, hopefully will wake him up to what is in his own elect re-election interest, which is to dramatically change direction in terms of how he is approaching these policy issues. You know, and that's the thing that gets me the most, Robin, is just if he thinks of his own selfish self-interest, what's best for him is what's best for the economy, is what's best for the American people, and there's an unwillingness to do it, which will lead to him losing, possibly losing office, but definitely losing uh, control of Congress and the Senate. That's the part that's the most infuriating. Uh, that's the part where I'm constantly banging my head against the wall, that he's doing, seems to be doing everything he can to undermine his ability to not only stay in control of the White House, but to get, but to do what's best for the American people. That's what I just, it's the, it's the worst this, part about this is it. What, this is what I am waiting, I'm, I am hoping that this will happen as soon as possible. I'm hoping he will wake up one morning and ask himself and call Larry Summers into the room and say, Larry, I appointed you chief economic advisor. I basically followed your advice. When we came into office, the Republican Party was in total disarray. <laughs> in 15 months, we have basically put them back in the driver's seat, and we are on the verge, you know, of putting them back in control of Congress and making my reelection very, very difficult, because the more they control Congress, the harder and harder they're going to make it for us to do anything that are going to improve the problems that are going to even get me reelected. Well, Larry... I'm sorry, I gave you 15 months, and you have failed, and you are fired, and I'm bringing in some very new ideas. That is what he needs to do in his own self-interest. That also coincides with the interests of the vast majority of the American public. That's why I'm hoping it'll happen. Yeah. Robin, I really appreciate you being back on the show. Enjoy the rest of your day in Portland and uh, and in Oregon. And uh, it's great to hear your voice again, again. And people ought to be reading your work over at Z Magazine as well as at the New Left Project. I really appreciate you coming back on our show. Well, it was great being on, and keep up the good work. All right. Thanks, Robin.